now, say now. You're tuned in to the Wake Up and Win podcast, and I am your host, Devon Pouncey. We are here in Portland, Oregon, sunny Portland, Oregon, that is, at the Momentum Studios. Myself, Spencer Shea. Yeah. <laughs> welcome, welcome back. <laughs> welcome back. <laughs> we back, are baby. back, baby. It's, it's been a while. Now we're officially home. Yeah, yeah, we're, we're back. We're back, we're back. Obviously, we've been on the road quite a bit. We will get to that here shortly. Just after the wind shares, though, um, this weekend, what do I got going on? You'll hear this episode by the time you hear this, but I'll be at Bible Club tonight, Thursday night. But Friday, Lulu Fridays, of course, we will be there and rocking, pull up, R&B vibes. Big, big, big R&B vibes. It'll be Friday the 21st. Saturday, I don't even, I have a gig, but it won't be a gig that you're invited to as I'll be DJing a wedding that day. And then Sunday evening, we'll be back at Bible Club. So, at Bible Club Thursday, pretty much an hour from now or a couple hours from now as we're sitting here recording, I'm going straight from here to from the studio to Bible Club to go spin out Lulu Fridays, 10 p.m. until late. Saturday, I got a wedding. Won't see you then. Sunday, we back at Bible Club Sunday evening at 6.30 p.m. until close. So pull up, man. We still got plenty of music yeah. to spin for you as the summer continues to roll on. And I'm glad to finally back for a little bit, for a little bit. I got to skip town again next weekend. I got to go down to Los Angeles for a couple of days. But, uh, woo, we've been on that road, buddy. Yeah, those are easy flights, though. The yeah, cross yeah, country, yeah, yeah, Johns, yeah. no thanks. Yeah, we went through it on those, didn't uh, we? Man, just. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know what, though? At least both my. Both my layovers were in Denver, so I wasn't tripping too hard. Oh, I like that airport. It's kind of fun. Lucky you, because yeah. my layover on the way back was in Chicago, and there was a tornado watch happening in Chicago on my way back from D.C., and so uh, this the airport shut down. Obviously, my flight got delayed, so Dude, I, I was supposed to be getting back that Monday night. Didn't get back till or no, that, that Wednesday night, excuse me, didn't get back until that Thursday morning, then had to still do a gig Thursday evening, did Lulu Fridays on Friday night, and then left straight from Lulu Fridays to the airport again to go back to the Bay Area to MC the Summer Jam Classic, which we'll get into all of that here shortly. Um, but first, I want to hear about the D.C. trip. Obviously, I'll, I'll share my experience as well. I think we had a wonderful time out there. You got to go out there with me. Um, we got to do a lot in a, in a pretty yeah, decent we, amount of time. Um, but yeah, we, we went, we got down. I, I, first off, it was awesome. I, yes. secondly, I underestimated the weather. I should have brought more clothes. I'll tell you that much right now. Cause <laughs> yeah. I was sweating. sweating. Out. Yeah, it was hot. With the humid. oldies out there. Boy, yeah, it was humid. It was bad. But outside of that, man, I think DC is. Well, I would say it's one of the better cities to to like go and visit and hang out out of the For ones. For sure, you know it's not Chicago. Uh, that, you know, it's outside of the airport, of course. Yeah, but, yeah. outside but, of it's a nah, tornado. No, DC was cool, bro. Like DC is one of those cities, man, where it's like it, it's it's very close to all of these very iconic American cities. Yes, it has feel of a lot of them too. It's, it's, it's got it's got some New York in it. It certainly has the Philly. And then you got B more right there. There's just a lot of like, you know, influence there, but it's got its own thing. I mean, Chocolate City for a reason. Like, yes, sir. This is a <laughs> this is a holy black city. Yes, it is. It is yes, very it is. fun to hang out with. It's it's expensive to drink, but all you got to do is just get drunk, and you don't remember. Yeah. <laughs> you don't remember how much you spent. 
all you remember is you had a good time. Yeah, hell of sure. good DJs out there. Oh, yeah. It was wonderful music out there. It was super cool to see the vibes. Obviously, you know, we got out there, and, and the first night, we went to go see what was going on. And, you know, just that, that Southern feel. <laughs> and it wasn't even just the fact that, like, the, the music that they may listen to may be a little bit different, especially when you talk about, like, tempo or, like, sub-genres of hip-hop. Right. You know, we come up on more of a, a mob music sound. We come up more of a G-funk type of a sound, real real funky and sample-based music over here. They come with more of a trap sound. And so... It's still, like, dance music. It's still dance music through and through. Yeah. yeah, it's different kind of dance. I mean, it's, dance. it's dance music, though, for sure. But what I will say that I, that I did appreciate about being there from a music standpoint. And obviously, we'll get into the politics, street papers, all the other things as well. But from a music sense, since you brought that up right away, one thing I did appreciate is because it is so black out there, there were music and records that I wish I could get away with out right. here mm-hmm. that you just can't because the culture just, there's a, a, a significant gap <clears throat> culturally between D.C. and between Portland. Yeah. And so as somebody who's not from Portland and that's living in the city of Portland and come from a place where I feel like we're, we're pretty culturally in tune and definitely very diverse as well growing yeah. up in the Bay Area where Portland lacks a little bit some of that diversity, being able to be out there hearing some of the records that were spun that I'm like, ooh, I wish I can get away with that back in Portland. But it's hard to get away with that if the room doesn't, fully feel it or fully understand it like there were sing-along records out there that i feel like aren't particularly sing-along records out here and so um when you just kind of got to read the room and you got to obviously you know try to cater to the audience that's in front of you rather than the audience that you wish was in front of you at times um you can sort of feel the difference at least me as somebody that dj's here regularly and got to sit down and just really enjoy djing and not have to work in that sense at least as I was out there, it's a lot of beautiful women out there, and they yes. were very—they were very nice. So, I, when I see them again, I'll make sure to let them know how nice they were, because I had a good time, man. Look, dude, look. When I got there the first day, because I—I pop in like six hours before you do, yeah. so I just get to just hoofing it, right? And I walk probably like ten miles, like just mm. the whole you know morning, afternoon, well into the evening, and then. I pretty much saw everything the first day, like in terms of like all of the monuments. But yeah, I mean, it started raining on me, so I had to bounce after that. But it was cool because you don't notice how vast the city is until you are sitting there and you just kind of go, holy shit, like that's like the Washington Monument is an impressive. Yes, it is. You know, a, a statue. Yeah, <laughs> I, yeah. I mean, there, we saw some statues. We got to see some stuff out here, there. Man. We got to see some stuff. Obviously, we saw some statues. Obviously, man. we got to go, you know, over to the Capitol building, got to visit with Senator Wyden. My goodness, what a dope experience that yeah, was. That Just that to was be amazing. able to, you know, see him in his element in D.C. The only time I've ever seen Senator Wyden is when he's here in Oregon, obviously. You know, big shout out to Hank. Hank Stern, shout out to you, man. I know you're listening to this episode. Hank. You probably missed us because. Yeah, we've been on the move a bit, but um, he connected those dots. Obviously, we've had Senator Wyden on this podcast. He's a friend of the show. And about a year ago, he he invited me on the podcast and said, man, I would love for you to 
Come down to D.C. I got to check out his office, got to see his jersey hanging up on the wall. Um, So it was pretty cool to be able to just see that. Oh, my gosh, his office, at least the first office in particular, you walk in and it's PDX carpet on the floor. It's banners of every single college and university in the state of Oregon hanging up on the wall, his jersey hanging up on the wall. It was just he, he flipped it. Even before you walk in, you got an American flag on one side of the door and you got a state of Oregon flag on another side of the door. So he's definitely repping out there and uh, at the Dirksen Senate building yeah, in I mean, D.C. The, it, it was fine. He was fly. We got to peek into. I think he had the most like. You know, kind of steezy office. Yeah, for sure. yeah, it was dope. It, it was, was super dope. It, <laughs> it was, was super dope. Then we got to go into his main office and just sit down with him for nearly an hour and just talk about everything. Obviously, we talked about sports. We talked about WNBA to PDX, which he seems to really believe. You know, he he gave me the, you know, Devon, you're a journalist. I can't tell you who my sources is that tells me things are looking up as far as the WNBA to uh, coming to Portland being an actual thing, but it's looking up. It's looking real good. So obviously great to hear that. Lobbied a little bit as well. Not going to lie to you. And we'll talk about why here shortly, Um, you know, as there's a lot of things going on in city politics here in in Oregon that um, obviously not just with him being a state senator, but with some of the things that he's passed through legislation as well federally and some of the federal funding that he got that could particularly impact some of the messiness from a funding standpoint that's happening here in city politics in Portland. I got to speak with him a little bit about that. Um, We just talked about life. We talked about it all, man. It was a super dope experience. His staff was very kind, very friendly. Um, And then they, they even gave us a tour the next day of the entire, you know, Capitol building. So um, it was just really dope. We even got to, you know, Really go in and 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 go into the Senate gallery. Got to put your phones away. Tuck your phones. They were in session. The Senate was in session as we were out there. Yeah. So we were able to access uh, just about everything. Dude, I'm, in there. I'm, stand, I'm standing in that line, and then that dude's like, so when you're in there, you can't, like, show any emotion on your face. Like, you can't have approval or disapproval on your face. And in me, in my mind, I'm like, how the fuck are they going to tell me I can't? Yeah. Emote out here. You know what I'm saying? I'm a human. And then you get in there and it's just giant secret service dudes that are just like <laughs> sitting there. I'm like, I'm not I, the whole time. I'm just stone faced, like grab my chin, like, hmm, interesting. Very yeah. interesting. You go, you guys want to get out of here? I'm like, yeah, I think we're, I think we got yeah, it. Yeah. <laughs> I think we're good. Squeeze by you, big gentleman. I'm gonna go ahead and get the fuck out of here. Yo, yeah, you was, gotta keep a stone face. That was an experience yeah, right that there. That was crazy because you, you know it's it's you don't get to I think that that is more can be more telling, at least f- from a human level, because I don't understand the politics to a certain extent. I remember we had to ask our uh, tour guide to, you know, kind of fill us in on what exactly they were voting on, which at the time was some uh, court uh, judge, you know, some some high level court judge that they were voting on that I guess was already a foregone conclusion. But just being able to see the way that like some of these cats are coming in and just interacting with each other on this sort of innocuous moment. I think that stuff is more telling. Like I saw Mitch McConnell in there and he just yeah. walked, he just he just looked like a just a guy I wouldn't want to have a beer with. You know what I mean? Like and I'm not yeah. trying to like make a song. I've seen the dude on TV a lot, but it's just seeing a just the way a person walks and just the way they kind of like interact with people near him. Do they say excuse me when they go by somebody? You know what I mean? Yeah, stuff yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's Manners the, a little bit. Yeah, the minutiae that you really get to see. And that's what was cool about being in Ron's office is because we were just there kicking it with him like you know, you get to like see, like you said, see him in his element and be like, 
you know, how does he interact with a person on, on a real personal level? Like, cause I mean, I've talked to him, I think on the pod here once or twice, but we've never officially met. And, you know, he was still very kind and cordial. Everybody was in there was nice. One of the girls that works there went to my high school. Yeah. So, I mean, it's just very like, it felt yeah. like I was at my house low key. For sure. For sure. No, I was super fired, man. And again, shout out to Senator Wyden. We appreciate you. We appreciate your staff, Hank Stern. You know what it is this way. We appreciate you as well. Um, and then what what might have been the highlight, which got cut short, but was still super dope. Well, I had a few highlights, so I'll get into all of them. We're just gonna recap it all here before we dig a little more into content. Plus, it's summer. We got we gotta find stuff to talk about these days anyway. Fortunately, we got to we talk gotta find about time to talk about yeah, the stuff. To <laughs> that that too about. for us. So fortunately, that that's the position we're in. Um, but you know, being able to go check out the National African American Museum. My goodness. We really basically only got to check out like a floor of it, which was the floor I think was definitely most most interesting to us. It was the culture and entertainment floor. Um, but, but part of the reason we only got to check out that floor was because, you know, as aforementioned, I had a connecting flight to Chicago. The Chicago airport closes. My flight gets canceled, so I had to get an even earlier flight. Well, it was closing. They knew they were going to close based on, you know, how close the storm was starting to get to Chicago itself. So they were kind of like preparing for it. So they canceled my flight later on in the evening, which meant I had to get an earlier flight to at least get out of D.C. And to be able to get over there, I had to stop in Columbus, but... My flight where I was, you know, going from Chicago directly to Portland was the one that I really needed to get to, most importantly. So um, I had to move my flight up just to be able to get out of the city and at least start to get on the move and, and figure it out from there and try to get home in time for a gig again that I had on that Thursday. But um, being able to just see the sports and culture aspect of that museum, the entertainment aspect of that museum my gosh, was it was it rewarding? Um, was it very, very substantial? You learned so much. Um, they did not cut any corners with this museum. You know, sometimes you go to a place and like, well, they're good for this, but they're not particularly good for that. Um, there, there's usually an element that's missing. I couldn't think of an element that was missing from that. Even stuff where I was like, oh, oh. They gotta have some yeah. such and such at this section, and when we finally got to that section, they had it indeed. You were almost trying to like You're call to out and see them. and stump them, and I never could because that's how dope. Um, and again, substantial it was. It, it was. It was. Oh my gosh, it, it was unbelievable. And the fact that that was really the only section that I got to go, got to go through. We got to go through. I say, I should say, as a whole, I, I can't wait to go back and go visit the other parts of the museum because. They absolutely nailed the culture, sports, and entertainment oh, yeah. part of that museum. Yeah, we, um, <clears throat> we. I think that was the most impressive building. I went to the Smithsonian. I saw, you know, all that all that stuff. But now that was an impressive building. Yeah, it was to be inside. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, man, DC was tight. It was tight. All it right? was tight. DC, it was tight. Don't get it twisted, guys. We went out there and we worked, but we also. I mean, you said the first time we had to see what was going on, we saw, we tried to see what was going on the second night yeah, and the third night. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we went out. We, we was outside. Was we took on. advantage of our time, that, of our time there. We saw what was going on. That's for sure. Um, it, was like awesome. it, was, it was super cool um, to go to Street Sense, which is our sister paper out in D.C. Um, another part of the reason why I went out there for work purposes, 
Um, got to visit Street Sense. Obviously, I work here at Street Roots in Portland, Oregon, and we are a part of the INSP, which stands for the International Network of Street Papers. We got nearly 100 papers in like 30 different countries. So we've got sister papers all over the world. And so to be able to actually go to D.C., visit our sister paper in D.C., see what it is they're doing, being able to connect with people that's doing the same work or very similar work to what it is that I do um, full time. It, it was a pleasure. I got to meet with their vendors and speak with their vendors, obviously speak with their staffers, get a tour of what it is that they're doing out there. And, um, you know, it just felt good to be able to connect with somebody else in an entirely different market that's doing pretty rare work. Um, the street paper movement is not the biggest movement per se, but I think it's a very impactful movement. And so to know that, you know, there's other people that are a part of this movement doing impactful work in other cities, as we obviously, you know, are on a mission to do right here in our own in Portland, Oregon. Um, it, it was just a super fire experience. So I want to shout out the whole paper, obviously the staff that was out there um, and, and appreciate y'all for welcoming us. We got to go check them out for a couple days. And, and that was a fire experience in itself. Oh, yeah. It was a shout out to Thomas and Maria and yes, Will. Sir. Yes, sir. Leticia, everybody and out there. Was, <laughs> they were out there. They, they just let us come in immediately. We walked right into a workshop. Yeah. And just hung out. And yeah. Kicked it. And everyone, yeah. let us, you know, I was doing a lot of filming and we got, we're going to have some videos put together that, you know, follow us on social media. There's, you know, their organization is, I think, like prime to just take off. Like, I agree. Exponentially fast. I agree. Because, I mean, clearly the staff is like with it and their vendors, everyone that we talked to, <clears throat> every vendor that we talked to was like, expressing basically on their own volition that like <clears throat> they're ready to get like activated on like a political level for sure which in my opinion there's not too many better places in the country or even the world to be able to do that at mm. um you know and so and you know being able to kind of speak with them and share some of our experiences here in in portland and you know, obviously, for what it's worth, politically, D.C. is D.C. is the nation's capital. Um, but here in Portland, when it comes to homelessness in particular, we are, and I'm not saying this in a proud way because I personally want to see everybody be housed and nobody on the streets, but um, we're kind of a hub for homelessness in a lot of ways when it comes to the services that that are offered here that aren't offered in most places when it comes to people from other places that come here to do things like transition, um, you know, obviously be able to get access to particular services that are offered here that aren't offered in most places um, to be able to kind of really that being a, a huge focal point in, in local and city government is homelessness. Probably the biggest issue that we have facing our city in this region is homelessness. And so to be able to have been a part of so much advocacy work that we do by way of street roots with, the, you know, being a director of the vendor program, working with our executive director, Kaya San, um, to be able to kind of speak to them where they have sort of just bigger political happenings happening right around them. But they're still in the middle of that. Um, I think it's important to note that most social issues have intersecting places. And I think for Street Sense in particular, they're amongst this 
federal landscape, if you will, this global landscape, if you will, being in the center of the nation's capital that sometimes you can almost forget about what's happening locally and 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 how to really attack that and, and have an impact and an influence on what's happening locally, where I feel like here in Portland, it's a little bit easier to do that. So to be able to kind of speak with them about some of the things that we're doing on the advocacy front, and I feel like if not even saying they should implement what it is that we're doing, but I feel like they have another step that they can take. And I think they feel like they have another step that they can take on an advocacy front. And with them being in a hub, a political hub, such as Washington, D.C., I think the sky's the absolute limit for that street paper and for that organization and what it is that it can continue to grow to be in that market. Well, I mean, like, even this, the thing about D.C. is that it's a way older city than Portland. And so when I was like, I mean, even the infrastructure of the city is, yeah. like, not – it's, like, so longstandingly not trying to help people in those situ- in those situations and environments like there right. aren't water fountains on the street yeah that just sprout up out of the ground yeah, you know, yeah, cask yeah, yeah, yeah. And brass like they are out here which is like that's criminal as far as i'm concerned yeah and especially like, in that heat that we was uh, man, no, I'm <laughs> but i mean and they're yeah. out there they live out there they live out there and right. so it's like i noticed that 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 was the thing about, you know because you know me i'm on my i'm i just the whole time i couldn't help but notice that like Everything looked really nice. And then like, and then you just like, all you have to do is just take like one extra look at something and be like, oh, that's janky. I mean, like even right down to like the towel racks in the hotel room (laughs) and the damn tiles we were standing on. I was like, this shit is not actually what it looks like if you just touch it. And like, and I just think that that is the type of place that could, you know, when, when it's that type of you know, environment where everything has to look good from an outward lens yes, and and the internal components don't necessarily have to be as, you know, strong as you could, as you could surmise from the outside because it's so insulated. Right. You know, like right. we were talking to a, a, one of the vendors and she was like, you know, telling me about all the 10 cities in DC. And I was like, you know, at risk of sounding like an asshole, I was like, where, you know, yeah. because like it, yeah. in Portland, they're everywhere. Right. And like, right. I mean, I, I'm not, I'm not naive to know that they are obviously sweep them and put them in little hovels on the outskirts of the city. But it's like, yo, it's like that, that's clearly what the city is concerned about is yeah. keeping up the appearance, the appearance that right. it has some sort of like control or, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, Coverage yeah, yeah, yeah. of its, of its citizens. And it, right. it does not yeah. from what I saw. Yeah. And yeah. So, I think that's real. That's yeah, real <laughs> for sure. You know? Yeah. I, I would 100% agree with that sentiment. Um, much, much like this, much like the government that it represents. It sort of looks yeah. kind of shiny, but the infrastructure is not, the bones are bad. Dog. Yeah. 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 No, I hear you on that. I got to give a huge, huge shout out to Dave Zyron. Um, Dave Zyron's been on this podcast before. For those who don't know who Dave Zyron is, um, he is the sports columnist of the Nation magazine out there in D.C., um, longtime sports journalist, and really, I would say, one of the pioneers when it came to or when it comes to the this sort of intersectional coverage that you get even from right here on this very podcast of sports that. and politics. Um, Zyron was one of the first people that I feel – took it on to cover that as a full like sub genre of sports coverage. Obviously, you know, we talk often about how 
filtered the media once was in comparison to present day when you have athletes that have their own platforms now you have athletes that have their own social medias you have athletes that that have a voice in a different kind of way socially well, you should say filtered through past. a mainstream media lens it's very true very true um and, and sort of filtered through that mainstream media lens back then in comparison to now where we have <laughs> so many more options mm. for for everybody to be able to have a voice and to be able to have a platform and basically all it comes down to now is if you can get people to listen mm. um where back then there was only w very limited ways to listen and so those were the ways that you were fed your information if you will which was in more of a mainstream way as you spoke to um but to be able to you know sit down with dave my goodness we had a phenomenal time together. I mean, we talked about cheese a little bit Dave. of everything. We ate cheese plates, man. We just kicked cheese it. And plate he got to inform <laughs> me a lot, obviously, about D.C. because that's where he is. And, you know, I got to inform him a lot about some of the things that I have going on, some of the things we have going on here in this market. And, and again, just to be able to talk to somebody that really, like I said, is a pioneer of, of the very coverage that – I do myself and and of a again a subgenre you will if you will an intersectional subgenre that has absolutely blossomed um you know yeah sports and politics have always intersected but the coverage of sports and politics and it being intersectional coverage hasn't always been accepted especially from a mainstream lens and he was one of the first people that really kind of pushed against that within the media space and and even, you know, even in talking to him, I was talking to him about the African-American Museum and wanting to go there. And he was one of the people who did a voiceover um, and, and did a segment on one of the kiosks that was there in the sports section because he means that much to the coverage, the intersectional coverage of sports and politics. And he's so well versed on the history of that of that intersection. So um, I want to give a huge shout out to him. Jules, appreciate you for connecting those dots but man it was a pleasure to be able to sit with him and and talk with him and catch up with him and, and and it was a genuinely good time for people that do the kind of work that we do it's always good I mean y'all know I know how to have a good time I mean damn it I DJ I do all of these things and I, I'm a fun dude but sometimes when you when you do this more intersectional work or when you really dig into sort of social and political issues to the extent that somebody like myself does or somebody like Dave does, you almost can be labeled as somebody that could take themselves too serious at times. And we got to talk about the serious stuff, even going to see Senator Wyden, I would say the same for him. We got to talk about and acknowledge the serious stuff, but it never felt like we were taking ourselves too serious as we were having those conversations, they were good, healthy, fruitful, fruitful, fun conversations. And we had a blast being able to have those conversations amongst tough, some of the tough things that we had to discuss in the process of that. So, um, you know, again, just to be able to be in his presence, to be able to sit down and speak with him and talk to him. And, and again, knowing that the path that he very well influenced and in some ways helped to create that I now follow in my own work, um, it, it was an honor to be able to do that. It was a very, very much so an honor. So then we leave Washington, D.C., and I come back to Portland for a couple of days, as I mentioned, DJ Thursday, Friday, and I go down to the Bay Area to MC 
the Summer Jam Classic, the Fever Family Foundation. Shout out to Trey Verrett, who puts that tournament on each year. Todd as well. My guy Todd as well. Um, the Fe- Fe- Trey Verrett is the brother of Jason Verrett, who also obviously friend is podcast. a friend of this podcast. Um, Jason Verrett, an NFL veteran himself. Um, and for the last three years, every summer, um, they put on a tournament, the Fever Family Foundation. Fever is, is, is Jason's is the name that Jason goes by. Um, their family foundation puts on this tournament. Um, it's a fifteen thousand dollar cash prize, and you got teams being put together from all over the Bay Area that come down to Fairfield and and play in this tournament. And I emceed the first year. Last year I wasn't able to emcee because I was already booked to DJ a wedding. And if if, if there's any gig. That. If there's any gig that you can't get yourself out of, it's a wedding gig <laughs> because that is somebody's biggest unless day wanna, of their you life. you change email. Yeah. <laughs> change identities for crying out loud. <laughs> but with that, um, you know, I, so I wasn't able to do it last year. I heard it was a success last year. But even amongst me not being there and based on what I heard, there was basically like a sweeping consensus that this year, year three, was by far the best tournament that we've had. For one, we switched venues. We were at like a community gym um, the first couple of years at Allen Wick Community Gym, which is a staple in the community. Um, But this year we were at Solano Community College. So we got to go from, you know, a community venue to a collegiate venue. So that made a world of difference, especially like, you know, the court itself, the atmosphere. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? A community the gym, facilities the facilities, <laughs> the facilities all the that. way around. Oh, like shit, it's 94 feet. Let's yeah. Hit the facilities were like phenomenal to be able to have an event like this on in comparison to Sorry. a community gym. Damn, Cause of course cool. you got to go two two courts running simultaneously for a good amount of the tournament to get through pool play and the earlier parts of bracket play. Um, and it's a little bit harder to do that at a community gym than it is at a collegiate gym where, like you said, the facilities are not just structured for game day, but it's structured to be able to practice mm. at an efficient level as well because you're doing more of that than you are playing games. Right. And so um, it was a great venue first and foremost. And then, again, although I wasn't there last year, I can tell you the best player that the tournament has ever seen played in this tournament. And and I actually did kind of bet something on that. And I, I won the bet, but we ain't going to talk about that here on the podcast. My people know, though, back home. But um, Kai Bowman, who played for the Golden State Warriors, just signed to play overseas in Italy. He played for a team out of San Francisco called the Frisco Hyenas, who were in the tournament. And they ended up winning the title. But they in the championship game, they had to play against the Repties, who are out of Oakland, who basically consist of all pros. And when I say pros, most of their guys play overseas. One of their guys had a stint in the NBA as well. Shout out to Will Cherry. Um, and they won the first two years of the tournament. So they were back-to-back uh, champs. They're, they're up $30,000 trying to extend that out to forty-five, And they had every opportunity to make that happen. Up 11 with four minutes left in the championship game. Right door is right there to be closed. It, it was right there, but the best player in the gym showed why he was the best player in the gym. Hit about three threes in a row. Just start crossing cats, finishing, 
brings the lead, shrinks the lead from 11 to tying it up and obviously being able to send it into overtime. It definitely helped that the Repti start missing some free throws late as well. And then it ended up being shook a triple over. Got shook. Got shook. But then it ended up being a triple overtime game. So to Damn. have a championship Damn. game. <laughs> so to have a championship game for $15,000 be a triple overtime team. game. It was Ooh. it was absolutely fired up in that gym. Oh, it's side bets happening oh, everywhere. Sh- it's sh- every city in the Bay that all ha- was here and, and was waiting for this sort of grand finale of a championship game to happen. And it exceeded, far exceeded anything Dude, we could have ever sick. imagined by being a triple overtime game for the $15,000. Kai Bowman obviously uh, ended up, you know, being the MVP of the tournament as well. His team won the $15,000 cash prize, and it is, quite frankly, still the talk of the town right now. And so it it was a pleasure to be able to go back and do that. Um, And it's just dope to be able to – Damn. Go back home and allow people to. games, bro. Yeah, that's what I was about to speak to. It's super dope because, you know, you hear me on a podcast. You can hear me on a live stream. You can watch me on an ESPN Plus broadcast. You can watch me on a news broadcast and get a news clip. That's one thing. But to be able to witness and experience my growth in person and, and, and my presence on the microphone in front of all my people that I grew up with that basically only see what I do by way of social media because I'm doing it in a completely different state than what I grew up in, to be able to come back and bring and Damn. elevate the energy back home, honestly, there's no yeah, better you feeling. Beat I, that it's no better feeling. Stick. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I've, I've done so many great things early on in my career thus far wow. in this broadcast space, and I could tell you that no feeling matches the young kids, you know, people that I grew up and went to high school with and seeing their younger siblings, some of them playing in the tournament, some of them even younger and still in high school and stuff like that. And them being like, man, I love the work he was doing on the and mic. I like, love, oh. oh, like, you know what I mean? Because a lot of us don't do that. Yeah. I mean, the fact that they got to hire me to come back home to do that at the level that I do it at, at least, you know what I'm saying? And I say that humbly, but I've also actually put in work in that space for years to be able to do it at the level I do it. They have to fly me out and bring me back home to be able to get that energy up there because whoever's on that mic is – very significant. MC, it's very man. important. You, you're the, you, master, of you're the master of ceremony. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, you know, to be able to do that and, and them to be Damn. able to see in person what it is that they've been watching for years on top of years by way of social media, like, it, it was no better feeling for sure to, to just, you know, get all the compliments and, you know, have all the interactions so that I'm having with people. you like, doing, like, play-by-play and color while being, like, the stadium announcer, Yes. So you were just yes. calling play like, like and one like type vibes. Yeah, exactly. yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But it was legit hoopers. Like I said, it's <laughs> NBA so players. Is you know, it, it's even a young Yo. dude. Shout out to Saeed Pridget. Grew up in the Bay Area. Was a phenomenal player. First team All Big Sky Conference player at the University of Montana. 
So I got to call his games on ESPN Plus when he played at University of Montana and whenever they came here to play against Portland State because they're in the same conference. And he was playing for the Oakland team, so getting to call games even for him now. He's been playing over this overseas for the last few years, but he's back home right now, so was able to play in this tournament. And I was able to call his games now in a completely different environment and setting. But that was very much as competitive because it was some – Absolute so hoopers out I'm there. Asking. Like, I mean, you said that these were pros and some of these guys were older, but people were catching bodies out there. And like, oh man, windmilling. Okay, I mean, good. it's okay, good. knocking like, like I said, Kyron. Now, there's Ky- room for that because I mean, that's- and granted, there were some people that got their asses whooped as well, thinking that it was going to be safe to just throw a little team together last minute and try to go pick up 15 bands, not knowing that you was going to have to go through some pros to get it. <laughs> like, so there were some ass whoopings that that it was a lot of humbling that took place. <laughs> as well where it's like yeah you think you could just put a little team together that that's good at the local community gym and y'all can just come to this tournament down from fresno or sacramento or wherever you coming from Uh, to beat some of this cat these cats that that actively play professionally right now they're just in their off season so they're at home and able to play together in the pro-ams and shit at home all the time like Turn those good luck traffic cones yeah it was bro. basically like pro-am teams <laughs> playing in a tournament for fifteen thousand dollars instead of just playing in a pro-am that's that's satisfying <laughs> you know what i'm really saying <laughs> you know that's cool i didn't even think about the fact that like you know because especially when you're actively trying to play you don't s- even consider like the outside connections that you can have to the game after you stop playing it. Yeah. So to be able to be like, Oh wow, I could still be a part of this just with a microphone. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And I I got to really show my skill. I got to really, like I said, for the people that were there from year one, even to year three, cause I didn't do it last year. The, the growth of the tournament was very, in my opinion, and based on a lot of the feedback that I got, was very well connected to my growth on the mic and the energy that I brought on the microphone, keeping it moving. Even, you know, when you, when you got motherfuckers betting, excuse my French, but betting hundreds to thousands of dollars on a game, that can get really, really intense. Oh, yeah. And somebody who doesn't have a good microphone presence can let that shit make, just turn into a tornado. It turn into you. a tornado around. You, you know what I'm saying? Like <laughs> you ain't got nothing. You to know say. what I mean? When you got when you got cats out here with ten thousand dollar, twenty thousand dollar chains on, betting hundreds to thousands of dollars on this game, you know like sticky the, it gets sticky, sticky in the gym. You know what I'm saying? And you still got to MC it. You got to make sure cats ain't storming the floor. You yeah. got to make sure you know. Cats you gotta are, have are eyes on you got to have it on everything because it's like this isn't as particular. Like we have official referees and we're playing with official rules and yeah, stuff but like that. The but the environment <laughs> isn't the same. You know? Yeah. What I'm oh yeah, this so, ain't, this ain't hey, college. NCAA this ain't no, 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 no. You got <laughs> no, cats dog. from every hood in the region. That's coming into this gym. And give them for your <laughs> panel. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Shit. yeah, it's a I lot. Know, you got a lot more that a lot more that a lot of my peers in this space probably <laughs> wouldn't be able to handle, to be quite frank. Because yeah, yeah. <laughs> a, a lot the of the peers. Yeah, man. good luck trying to be on the mic with this. And I, I handled it like a pro. It. You know what it. I'm saying? And, and part of it because I've put in the work to do that. Yeah. But the other part of it is 
I'm now in my environment that I grew up in, that I came up around, where it's not too many people in my industry that really comes from that. Wait, didn't you go so, to that school? No, I went to Diablo Valley College, yeah. but I went to high school in, in Fairfield, which is where Solano right. College is. So I, I grew up, you know, prep, prep, playing there, high school, summer league games and working out, training there, all of those kinds of things. Like, you know, but but um, literally like it's an exit away from the high school that I that I went to in Fairfield. But, yeah, it's like, you know, I'm in this media space where a lot of my colleagues don't reflect that environment. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But there was the, a lot of players in that environment that uh, some of my colleagues have called games for in the past that come from those environments but made it to the environments that my colleagues tend to work in, whether they were Division One basketball players. And, again, he had a couple NBA players that, were, that was out there, whatever the case may be. But coming back to the neighborhood, a lot of my colleagues wouldn't have stood a chance in that environment. So it was dope that – I had the professional skill set to be able to handle it, but I also had the relatable skill set as well because I come from there to where I was taken, I was respected on the microphone. You know what I mean? They not only respect what I do, but they actually respect who I am as well. And yeah, it's a lot of people in the industry that wouldn't get that. I need to see this next year. Yeah, it was fire, dog. It was, it was, I mean, it's, it's, I've been posting social media. Perfect timing to get you hyped up because basketball season is just in a few months. It's It's coming. Perfect timing just to give you that little. It's coming, Cause yeah. Because you, know, you know basketball around these parts has been pretty grim. Oh, man, it was lit. It was I mean, man, I'm still on the high. Everybody's still on the high from that tournament. It's been the talk of the town. It's been social media wars happening, not like violently, but from a basketball standpoint, it's, you know, people ready to bet that money back. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, it, it was a lot. It was real dope. So, um, again, shout out to the FIBA Family Foundation. Thank you for having me. Um, and now you all know why it is that we have not been podcasting been <laughs> as everywhere. of late. Here and then right Booked back and busy, to it. baby. And then right back to it. You know yeah, what I'm saying? Booked and busy. Um, I'm going to see Tears for Fears this weekend in between that wedding. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we got a wedding. Yeah. And then I'm driving to go do the wedding, and then I'm going to come back and help you break down. I mean, do the concert and then help you break down. Break, so, yeah. <laughs> just like, I don't know. I didn't I forgot. I was like, oh, yeah, I got Tears for Fears tickets. Yeah, <laughs> right, yeah, yeah, I'm yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I'm, I'm just booked and busy all weekend. Um, I do want to talk a little bit about local politics in particular. Let's do it. Um, you know, obviously, y'all know the work that, that us as Street Roots have been a part of, and we like to call it as Street Roots, our forever advocacy project. That is Portland Street Response. Um, you know, I've come on here. I've recently come on here and talked about Portland Street response and some of the things happening surrounding it, um, you know, resources being taken away from the program, hiring freezes that are stopping the program from being able to grow and being able to expand. Um, I even, you know, gave an opinion. It was indeed an opinion um, on, you know, the the retirement of our fire chief, you know what I'm saying? And, and Chief Sarah Boone and the fact that I didn't personally believe, based on my interactions with her, based on the legacy that she had began to create as a fire chief, that she wanted her legacy to be aligned with the direction that it seems the current city council is attempting to go. And while, yes, she probably very much so deserved to be able and to want to retire 
um, based on the amount of years that she put into this industry, I do believe that getting out at this particular time at what I would deem to still be a relatively young age, even though she has been in fire for a pretty significant amount of time, 30 plus years. Um, I'm of the belief that she was starting to see the direction that this city council is trying to take. And it was best for her to detach herself from that now, rather than as things continue to spiral or attempt to spiral. Um, so with that said, you know, um, there's been a lot of work behind the scenes. Um, there's been somewhat of like a coalition created, um, which is a support group called Friends of Portland Street Response that has come out and c- created a petition. Um, the petition is calling for the expansion of Portland Street Response. Um, this coalition is supporting for the original goals of Portland Street Response and the specific actions needed to restore and support that program to continue um, rather than obviously the sort of digression of the program with hiring freezes and resource changes happening. Um, So you had that Um, part of when I mentioned going to visit Senator Wyden, you know, they've had um, Senator Wyden let the cahoots bill for those that don't know what cahoots is cahoots. It was the first model um, that was this, you know, first alternative first response model that sent medics and peer support specialists to go out and help people that are in mental health crises um, rather than just the law enforcement folks. Um, and so Street Roots, as we sort of, and Cahoots has been around for 30 years, but it's been in Eugene. Obviously, Eugene isn't considered like a major city, um, but us as Street Roots was seeing some of the numbers Um, That was taking place here statistically as far as upwards since 2017, upwards of 50 percent of the rest happening in Multnomah County are of homeless people. Less than 25 percent of those were for actual like violent crimes. A lot of it was for petty crimes, um, unwanted things of that sort, soliciting whatever it is that you want to call it, people that were pretty much in mental health crisis um, or disturbing the peace even, which is yes, just, you know what I mean? It's petty, yeah. <laughs> um, you know? And so we had, we had a phenomenal journalist, Emily green, who, who did a write up about it and kind of broke down in, you know, by way of her journalism, the ways that we can implement a model like cahoots here in the city of Portland. Um, from there, Kaya San, our executive director at Street Roots, and myself as the vendor program director, immediately went into action mode. Um, and, and we started just doing a bunch of advocacy. Um, we obviously, you know, got the inf- the input from people that lived on the streets. Our vendors were a huge part of being able to get us that information and input. We were doing surveys. We were getting feedback from people on the streets. Um, we were paying our vendors stipends to go out and get these surveys in a in a trauma informed way from people that they neighbor with and people that that would give them more of an a raw and authentic version of what it is that they really want without kind of having to do it in such a way where I have to say things a certain way because I'm talking to somebody that probably doesn't understand my experience. Um, and it just bubbled. Commissioner Hardesty, who was a city commissioner at the time, was able to introduce it to city government. Um, it got passed for funding half a million dollars back in 2019. Then 2020 happens. You have the George Floyd situation. You have the Black Lives Matter Um you know, escalation take place here in this country and really all over the world. The uprisings that were happening around these police killings of black people 
And Portland Street Response became a very popular model because Portland was a major city, not only from the standpoint of the uprisings that were happening in Portland, but a, a, a major city that can show that it had a model that other major cities could adopt to be able to um, reallocate some of the funding, especially as we had a lot of the defund the police movement taking place at that particular moment in time. So, um, you know, a lot of the challenges that people were kind of putting up against the defund the police movement as well. If you take the money away from the police, what are you going to do with that funding? And an alternative first response model like Cahoots and like Portland Street Response is a model that you could reallocate some of those types of funds too. Um, so then Senator Wyden got uh, billions of dollars um, through legislative funding, um, through the coronavirus relief package to what he called the Cahoots Bill, obviously naming it after the original model that was in Eugene, Oregon. Again, we kind of heavily, uh, heavily uh, elevated the momentum of this particular model in 2020. It went from a half a million dollars funding to $4.8 million funding just off of that time period and the uprisings and everything that was happening as budget stuff was happening here locally. Um, and since then, you know, it's been implemented, but it's been a slow kind of build out process of this program. So um, it hasn't been able to flourish till its fullest extent being that commissioner Hardesty was working on it. Um, and then she was not reelected in her seat as commissioner. And so with the new city council here, um, especially in particular with, I would say, Commissioner Renee Gonzalez, who oversees the Fire Bureau, which is the bureau that Portland Street Response is under, um, some hiring freezes taking place, some pulling of certain funding taking place, had a direct impact on Portland Street Response being able to grow as a model. So you had this coalition that put together um, this petition, you check out Friends of Portland, uh, Friends of PSR, which stands for Friends of Portland Street Response on whatever social medias you have. Um, you could even check it out on my Twitter. I signed the petition as well. The last I saw, and this petition just came out uh, about two and a half days ago, the last that I saw, there was over like 7,000 signatures already. So there's a good chance that, you know, by the end of this week, this petition will hit 10,000 signatures. I'm one of those signatures, and I would encourage you to be one of those signatures as well to kind of see this thing elevate and grow. Um, and, you know, it, it'll be cool to see how we can utilize that CAHOOTS funding, the CAHOOTS bill funding federally to be able to not only directly impact models like Portland Street Response that already exists, but to create more models like it in other markets as well. Um, as, as it's federal funding to be able to do that. So, um, yeah, man, it's been a lot going on on that front. Yeah, I, Go ahead, though. I know you got a lot of feelings and a lot to say about this. I just wanted to sort of give the backstory yeah, on what's job. going on, and now you, you can give your, your feels on it all. Well, you know, you want to <laughs> – speaking of Renee Gonzalez, okay. So since, you know, the word reversal is he, – he wants to use that word a lot right now uh because of you know charters and other you know uh actions that people have already decided i mean it's pretty clear renee gonzalez right i mean if you i mean you don't have to be a journalist to see oh this guy wants to reverse this you know uh, this 
you know, charter reform that we came up with last year was well, probably because and that was voted on. That was voted on. That that is already done in a midterm deal. election year. I by mean, the way, it's pretty obvious that it's probably because you know that what everyone else already knows is that we just don't like you, big dog. <laughs> No, because seriously, what I want to know about the what I want to know about the position about the petition because you you said that you 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 are petitioning to have Portland Street response with its original goals. Yeah, is that goal, which were very clearly laid out? And it, now, does that account for reversal of any of these other sort of you know stop gaps that <clears throat> Gonzalez has put in place in terms of like resources you know being pulled from the. Yeah, for sure. Because I mean, the the goal was for it to be a citywide program. And obviously, as a pilot, you weren't able to do it citywide and you wanted to make it a 24 seven program. You can't do that if you're having hiring freezes. Right. You know what I'm saying? Because if you're going to grow the program, you need to hire more people to work within said program. So with a hiring freeze happening in in Portland Fire, you can't particularly do that. Then, again, with funding being taken away from Portland Portland Fire, now you have sort of this internal conflict between these subsections that are under this Bureau of Portland Fire that are fighting for limited resources. You know what I'm saying? So with all of these things, that stunts the growth of this program that the goal was for it to be citywide and the goal was for it to be 24-7. You can't do that if the resources are being taken away. Then then you also also start to send people from – you you force to send the Portland Street response folks out with – for sweeps, basically, right. because you know that with sweeps come a lot of conflict. There's people that are unhoused belongings, belongings, and the little bit that they do own are being swept and taken away. And the people that they're supposed to trust is the Portland Street Response people. But y'all are showing up with these people to take my stuff, and then you expect the Portland Street Response folks to take on the burden of what you know is going to be an intentional in a way, mental health crisis that's going to take place because you're taking away the very limited belongings that these people own. So there was just so many different, like, wacky things that he started to implement and started to do once he got into this seat, which he just got in at the beginning of the year, for crying out loud. He just was inaugurated months ago. He hasn't even been in his seat for a full year, and he's already done all of these things that has become a challenge. So it's obviously challenging the workers. I mean, you had the director of Portland Street Response stand down. You had another employee who came out and did an interview in the Oregonian about, you know, the struggles and the stresses of being an employee and working for the program because it's going totally against what she signed up to do, you know, and and what her thought process and what she was told was going to be her responsibility working for that program. So you've kind of had all of this going on locally um, and and it's finally getting to a point where it's coming to a head and folks are fighting back about it. I mean, think about just like how cold and heartless you have to be to make Portland Street Response go out and do sweeps. It's just so, like, Renee, like, that's the type, like, you, you sound like the type of guy that would make his wife go dig the garden up so you could put a jacuzzi in. He's just not a nice cat. You know what I'm saying? Like, wh- like yeah. who? Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's, just, it's just sick. And, and you know, so I'm, I'm definitely going to get on it and sign that petition, at least on that front. And obviously keep rocking to keep that guy. Because, dude, 2024, you ain't making the cut. Well, interestingly enough, I guess we can kind of use this as a segue. Um, in 2022, we had this charter reform. Um, 
that was a measure that was voted for and that was passed that will change the structure of city government, if you will. Um, currently, we have four city commissioners and the mayor that consists of city council. In this case, um, they haven't implemented yet. implemented it yet, so I don't know exactly what the breakdown would be, but it would be more so where they would have council members by districts. And so they would break it into like quadrants, if you will. I'm using that just for the sake of this example. Sure. I don't know if that's exactly what it would be. But say you break the city down by quadrants and you have three commissioners in each quadrant. For one, it allows each quadrant to be able to have influence and input on whatever it is that's going on in the decisions that's being made within the city. And then having three commissioners in each of those quadrants makes it to where it'll always be a majority rules type of thing, because it'll be two thirds vote is what will ultimately decide what gets passed, what doesn't get passed so on and so forth. And so this passed, it was voted 58 to 42 in favor of this in the 2022 midterm elections. Um, and already you now have Dan Ryan, Mingus Maps, and Gonzalez Mingus that are Maps, trying to yeah. challenge right. and kind of reverse um, the implementation of it and what it would look like when it's already been voted on. The people have spoken by way of their votes, and now you're before even its implementation are already trying to change what it looks, how it gets implemented, so on and so forth. And so um, I want to give a huge, huge shout out to Candace Avalos. Um, Candace, you know, is is a, a big time community organizer here in our market. She's a journalist as well. She does a lot of writing. She's actually a board member at Street Roots as well. Um, and she was the she's the chair of the Charter Review Commission. And so she played a, a significant role on being able to get this on the ballot. And this is something that you can only do like every 10 years, have this charter review commission and be able to obviously present it as a measure and hope that it can get voted on to be able to. Which it did. Which it did. <laughs> and I know that because I remember when folks were applying to be a part of the commission, um, I certainly was I certainly was recommended to do it. I just I just didn't have the capacity at the time to be a part of it. I kind of regret it a little bit because it is a big deal and it's once every 10 years that you have a commission that to do be able to do something so significant within city government, but I wasn't a part of it. Um I did I was a part of Street Roots editorial board and it was one of the measures that we endorsed as an editorial board. Um, but Candace was the chair of the commission. And so obviously they're pushing and fighting back against city hall. Who's trying to at the last minute, basically put it up for vote in a 23 vote, which isn't a midterm year or a presidential election year to try to get all of this stuff changed at the very last minute before it ever even gets implemented. And so um, there was like a work session that's a, like a last minute work session that city council had. And Candace basically was informed at the very last minute and then asked to speak at this work session that she really didn't have a chance to prepare for. She's a, a, a black and Latina woman. So she's already getting, you know, kind of pushed up against and being challenged by, you know, this council. I mean, you got one woman in, in Commissioner Rubio, but this council primarily of men who are actually challenging this thing. Um, and then you have another white man who's a part of the commission. And it was just so nasty to watch the session because 
Candace was answering and responding to their questions so thorough. And they just, for the life of them, acted like they couldn't understand the things she was saying as if she was speaking a foreign, as if she was speaking a foreign language. And then whenever this white guy who was a part of the commission spoke, this middle-aged white guy spoke, they just all of a sudden understood him so eloquently and so clearly as if she was just saying mush. You know what I'm saying? And then to me, it just got me more to thinking you know, of what I discussed about Chief Sarah Boone, the first black fire chief in the market and what and the way that Commissioner Hardesty got treated and the way that they're trying to undo a lot of Commissioner Hardesty's legacy. And now you have this young black woman who's the chair of the Charter Review Commission and she's killing it. And now you're trying to challenge her. And it's sort of it's, it's giving me this feel of like a through line taking place of, of minority women leaders that are stepping up here in our market in the ways that they're being challenged by men within city government because their legacies are actually not only being implemented and and being a difference made, but the people are behind what it is that they're presenting. But it seems like because it's women, and particularly black and minority women and women of color that are sort of at the forefront of some of these legacies that can have a huge change on how this city operates, it's just so hard for these men to be able to accept that. And so they're challenging it in nasty, messy, and inefficient ways. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And it's just kind of nasty work, man. I, I really don't like it. Well, I'm not leaving it alone. Oh, no, not at all. Not leaving it alone <laughs> at all. And, and I will say, you know, as Every much as, as as critical as, as many can be about Mayor Wheeler, you know, I will say in this session, Wheeler, I thought, hit it on the nail. You know what I'm saying? Because he challenged these other city council members basically saying, are we going to believe in and support the will and the vote of the people or are we not? Like, how seriously, uh, seriously are we taking our own residents vote here in this market and do we well clearly you know, not seriously not ser- trying to reform <laughs> you know what i'm saying and so and so and and he also you know gave candace a shout out as as i watched some of it he gave candace a shout out for being so grateful because they try to put her in a position to show up at this last minute work session and work session and then just like grill her with questions that she never had a chance to even prepare for. And so, you know, Wheeler actually challenged his colleagues on city council because it, it looked a mess. Her answers were very clear. Even when it came to the election year, you even have guys like Mingus Maps coming out and saying he's trying to downplay the fact that that. This measure was passed in 2022, which is a midterm year. Historically speaking, midterm years and presidential years is when you have the biggest voter turnout. So now in year 2023, all of a sudden you want to say, hey, let's try to, you know, revisit this. Let's try to sneak one by you in 2023 (laughs) when there are less people voting. There are certainly less people of color that are voting. So you get more people of color's voices in in midterm elections and in presidential elections than you do in these odd year elections that nobody ever talks about or discusses. And then he even tried to downplay his own election saying he got elected in 2019, which obviously obviously wouldn't have been a midterm or a presidential 
presidential year, but you actually got elected in 2020, brother, which was a presidential year. And so it was just nasty ass work happening up I, there. I did see like, that. bro, you don't even remember the year you got elected? That was a guppy, bro. You don't remember the year that you got elected and you're trying to use a, a year, oh, no, a false year as support for your stance that it shouldn't matter what year that folks voted on this or what votes matter and what votes don't matter. And you say the wrong year of your election year to try to support your ignorant stance because one is ignorant because it stands on the basis of something false because you were indeed elected in 2020 right. so right away you know what i mean no right away you have your viability your, at all at all <laughs> it was just it was nasty man like i said dan ryan just acting just struggling so hard to understand what it was that candace was saying which was all being made very clear basically many of the points that you hear me regurgitating right now were the points that she was indeed making he just act like he could not understand it but whenever this middle-aged white guy spoke oh okay we're clear we're clear like it was just it didn't feel right you know what i'm saying and, and that through line for me was just that they are struggling to see minority so, so women have such have an like influence a- and impact on the direction that this city is attempting to go. So, so they just had like a meeting, is that right? It's no it was like a work of, session. It's like a, yeah, like a workshop. It was a session that they had, you know, and at, at the first that we city know hall. Of, of these, of this type of talk. Well, yeah, because yeah, it, it hasn't even been implemented yet. Right. So it's like okay. it was just voted on in 2022. Right. At the end, obviously, November of 2022. I just want to make sure. It was passed, and the implementation hasn't even happened yet, and they're already, already trying, trying to, to reverse it. Yeah. And granted, it, also, let's do consider, Mingus Maps is running for mayor, so he probably certainly doesn't want to see. He's announced that he's running for mayor. He doesn't want to see the power structure change, which yeah. it indeed will with an entirely different form of government. A, a different model of government. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, well, I mean, there's all these like lame it. ass incentives that is just weak. And it's like changing it is one thing after it's implemented, but trying to change this thing before it even gets implemented. And it was already yeah, voted have, on and passed. What you deem a, a, a legitimate gripe with the way that it is going. That's one thing. That's one thing, but it hadn't even been implemented yet. Sure. And you're already trying to reverse yeah. The intent of it. And that's nasty work. Well, I mean, look, if they shouldn't have any trouble understanding this. I don't like those fools. I don't like those gentlemen. And if I see them, I'll tell them the same thing. I don't like you guys. And I think that that's going to prove that I'm not the only person that thinks that. Yeah. To be honest. So So. I'm excited to see what Friends of Portland Street response um, does. I kind of have some insight on on what's to come, but I'll let them announce it. And when they do, of course, we'll... Relay that information you know, here as well. Internet sucks around but, here these um, days. Go online and complain about internet. Yeah, yeah. So I'll, I'll let them kind of announce it as again. Although I have some insight, you know, right now it's all about getting this petition signed, and it's gotten a lot of momentum and a lot of signatures from community members here. And uh, there's definitely more to come. Again, like I told y'all, I went and lobbied a little bit when I went down to City Hall. I mean, not City Hall, but to the U.S. Capitol building to the Senate building. The Dirksen building. The Dirksen Senate building. I lobbied a little bit. And yes, indeed, I lobbied about PSR. So you'll see what's to come. And I'll certainly let you know what is to come from that. Um, I got to go DJ here in a few, y'all. We're going to get out of here. But glad to be back. We are back here with you. Took some time off being booked and busy. It happens that way. It's summer anyway. So who cares? Oh, I got to. We're not going to do that. We're not going to do that. 
I, I, we are not going to acknowledge the fact that Sabrina and Nesco scored 37 oh, points oh, yeah. in the damn oh, yeah. WNBA oh, yeah. uh, three-point competition. Contest. We're not going to do that. We're yeah. not going to not acknowledge that. That was the most ice-cold shooting performance of all time. Yeah. In terms of in a, in a moment, I don't yeah. think anybody has ever been that on. Yeah. That was <laughs> insane. <laughs> I just can't believe in a competition too. You know what I'm saying? Regardless if it was a game competition, if it was just a skills comp, it was a competition. She lit it up, dude. She missed the first shot and then rattled off like 20 plus buckets in a row consecutively. Yep. The she hit both the four pointers. I mean, dude, she, it was an absolute clinic, dude. It was a clinic. The way that ball was jumping out of her hand, that release is so. I mean, I hate to do it, but it's it's really so Steph like. It really is just. Uh, it yeah, she jumped, challenges Steph now it too. Just jumps out of her hand. It's gone. I, well, I think it's interesting because you know, obviously, we're coming off the heels, and I hate to do this because it's still women to woman to woman. Um, but obviously, you know, we talk about the social stuff here on this podcast. In particular, we talked about it during the NCAA tournament when you had Caitlin Clark going absolutely berserk, and and you know the the, the love and the support that she started to get. Um, and I feel like, to an extent, maybe not to the extent that we saw this year, because we just never seen anything like that in the NCAA women's tournament, in my opinion. Um, but to an extent, like. That was Sabrina, and Sabrina didn't get her opportunity to have her big, big tournament moment because the year where I'm about 85% sure that they were going to win it all was in 2020 when the tournament was hindered by COVID. (laughs) And they were the best team in the country going into the tournament. They were a number one seed going into the tournament. Sabrina was the best player in the country, no doubt about it. And then COVID canceled the whole tournament. And obviously she went on to play in the WNBA from there. And even then had to deal with the COVID year, the bubble. And, you know, has dealt with a little bit of injury here and there throughout her career as well, which is still obviously still very early in her career. She's a young player in the WNBA still. Um, so we just, the, the, the momentum around her name and around who she is and what she means to women's basketball was stunted a little bit, not completely, because if you know, you know. And then obviously also, you know, she was getting a lot of recognition when Kobe passed away because of her relationship to the Bryant family and so on and so forth. But I'm just speaking from a pure basketball standpoint and where we look at Caitlin Clark as this coming of what's going to be a revolutionary player within the sport, I feel very much the same way about Sabrina Inescu. I just feel like, the pandemic in a lot of ways and some injuries has sort of hindered her being able to reach that fully, but she's still so young. She's still so good. She obviously can still shoot it lights out and don't be surprised when she becomes arguably the biggest thing in women's basketball, because that is still her trajectory, even amongst all the the elements that I just explained. Yeah. I mean, I, I believe that, I mean, especially where she's at, like the New York Liberty are, they're number two. Yeah. And so as soon as whatever sort of abomination of basketball dominance that's happening over there in Las Vegas, as soon as that, when the, whenever that giant decides it wants to go back to sleep, 
that's next up. I see. Regardless of like, hey, I but, mean, there's a lot. She's of, gonna I mean, have her chance to put it to sleep she, too. You know sure, what I'm saying? No, for and, sure. I just don't. And the playoffs will be not. The playoffs will be next month. Next and month. the WNBA playoffs is when it goes down. You know got, what I'm saying? So it's like, yeah, I get it. The Aces are the favorites. They're the defending champs. They're the favorites. They're super deep. I get all of that, but. That's a time My for somebody official. like a Sabrina, along with the Brianna Stewart's of the world and the squad that she got over there in the new and with the New York Liberty well, to be some giant killers. Right. <laughs> that would be huge for her legacy. That'd be massive. I just yeah. my my gut tells me that the Aces are the first WNBA team to three peat. Yeah. Just what it feels like to me. <laughs> yeah. And honestly, it yeah. feels like they're, they're just from good. the way that I see the way that like, you know, their whole brand and just the way it's like, I feel like that's enough for them. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I feel yeah, like yeah. that'll be enough for them to put them to bed because until they until they decide they want to stop, they're not going to lose. I, 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 I'm not mad at that take. <laughs> it's hard to argue against it. But, damn it, I believe, Sabrina. Sabrina. It I, down, I, I believe in Sabrina. I believe in Sabrina. If anybody's going to be a mix. giant killer, it's it would her. be her and that Liberty squad. Obviously, she's got Brianna Stewart, as I mentioned, yeah, but she's she too. can But if Sabrina's really going to be the key to that because Brianna's going to do what she Brianna's going to do. Eye out. You know what I'm saying? Like, Brianna's going to do what Brianna's going to do, but Sabrina is going to have to elevate her game to the potential that I think she has and, and can elevate her game to in order to slay that giant over there in Las Vegas. Yeah. Um, but a huge shout-out to her. Greatest shooting performance I've ever seen in any competition. Um, so congratulations to her. And now, on that note, we are going to leave y'all the only way that we know how, and that is to stay woke and go win. <laughs>